Well, good morning, church. Merry uh, COVID Christmas to you as you are socially gathered throughout the sanctuary. It's good to see you this morning. Um, in case any of you didn't recognize the masked man who came in over here, we do have uh, Brother Danny Perkle home from Cincinnati and Hango, so it's good to have you guys with us today. I'm glad to have them here, um, and uh, thank you for being with us this morning. Before we look at God's Word this morning, just a, a few matters of announcement that I want to make sure that we are all clear on. We are still planning on having Christmas Eve services here. We uh, had originally uh, scheduled for two Christmas Eve services, two socially distanced Christmas Eve services, um, not really understand, knowing how many are going to come on Christmas Eve. Uh, so those are planned right now for 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock on Thursday. Um, if you have not already RSVP to us just to let us know that you are planning on attending and which one, that would be a big help to us if you would. Um, if we see that not a lot of people are coming to one of our services, then there's really no reason for us to do them. Um, so we will try to uh, make that determination in the next day or so. But there was an online link that was sent out um, that you can register online and just let us know that you're planning on coming and how many are coming with you. There's also, um, you can call the church office and just let us know uh, that you're planning on attending so that we know about what to expect during those uh, two services. Those will be taking place this coming Thursday. We also uh, made the determination because of the fact that the Sunday after Christmas and Sunday after New Year's are usually a little bit lower in attendance anyway. And in light of the last couple of weeks with, with rising COVID numbers and a number of people staying home, um, even our two services that we do, if you've been attending, you know that, that they've been much less than, than normal. Um, we've been averaging about 90 in between the, the last couple of weeks, between both services combined, which we can sufficiently put in one service right now. And so next Sunday, the 27th, and the next, January the 3rd, we will only have one worship service, and that will be at 1030. It will still be live streamed, um, but we will just have one. There's no reason to have two if, if the crowd's going to be so small. Um, so just know that. Those of you that are the 9 o'clock service, um, you can come at 1030, or you can come really early and just hang out with us if you want to. It's up to you. So, uh, But that will be at 1030 next week, all right? Um, we also will have a short business session uh, immediately following this service to uh, entertain a motion. We'll let you know about that. But uh, those of you who are members of Central Park, if you will uh, wait around for just a few moments at the conclusion of the sermon this morning, we have a little voting matter we need to take care of. And I also want to take just a moment to remind you that one of the most important uh, things that we recognize in our church and in the life of Southern Baptist missions during this time is our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Now, we, we don't usually make a strong appeal for gifts to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering because so many people in our church give through the harvest offering. And 20% of what you give to the harvest offering goes to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Um, we will once again write a check this year for, for, for well over, I don't remember how much, $22,000, I believe it is, Steve, that we'll be writing to the Lighty Moon Christmas offering. However, if you have not been giving to the, to the um, harvest offering and you would like to give a gift, or if God has blessed you and you would like to give an additional gift to the Lighty Moon Christmas offering, you can certainly do that. Uh, that goes to support about 5,000 international missionaries that are planting churches and discipling people and spreading the gospel all throughout uh, the world. 
Um, we normally have prayer guides that we give you guys to pray over and, you know, envelopes. And just right now with, with, with us not passing a lot of things out because of COVID, those things haven't been available. But you can go uh, and do a Google search for Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. You can find their website. You can watch their videos of some of our missionaries. And, and just remember them, if you would, during this Christmas season in prayer. A number of our missionaries that are serving in extremely difficult circumstances and extremely difficult context. And so you think that, that church has been hard for us for the last nine months. Imagine what it's like in some of our countries where, where some of our missionaries are serving. Um, I, our organization that I work with, Four Corners, is not affiliated with the International Mission Board, but even in our world, our churches were not able to meet uh, they, they, all public gatherings were banned in, in Uganda for about seven months. So you can imagine the challenge that it is to try to share the gospel in that context. So let's remember in our, our, uh, our missionaries and all of our personnel that serve with the International Mission Board, if you would, please. Well, this is our final Sunday before Christmas. It's usually a joyous time when the church gathers together that Sunday before Christmas. Even, even people who normally don't get up on Sunday and think about going to church, feel like, oh, this is the Sunday before Christmas or the Sunday after Christmas and we need to go to church. And so we see people here sometimes that, that normally aren't here on Sunday. This coming Friday, followers of Jesus Christ around the world will join billions and billions of people in gathering together with family to celebrate Christmas. Now, People will exchange presents, they'll embrace loved ones, in some cases they'll enjoy meals together. But we all know that this is going to be a much different Christmas experience than in years past because of the situation that we've been in with the COVID-19 pandemic. I know that as I was looking just a few minutes ago, I've been trying to keep track of the people in our church who have been affected by this virus, who've tested positive as of right now. We have over 30 people in our church family that have tested positive for this virus in some uh, time during the last nine months. Probably half of those have been in the last six weeks. Um, we've had two uh, church members who have passed away as a result of that. That's going to be a very different experience for those families this year. Um, I've heard from several people who have said, our family's just not getting together at Christmas. And I know that's a very, very difficult decision to make, um, and, and it's going to make it a difficult time when you're not going to be able to at least uh, share a meal together with some of the family that you normally see. And even gathering together as churches has become a challenge, you know, trying to figure out how do we do Christmas Eve and keep people safe? How do we do communion on Christmas Eve, which we normally do? And, and all those have been challenges that we've had to face. One of my pastor friends posted a video this last week indicating to his church family and to his friends on Facebook that he had contracted the virus. And uh, this Sunday was to be their Sunday before Christmas for their church family, and their entire church family had to make the decision to go virtual this week. Uh, he is unable to preach uh, this week before his congregation um, because he's quarantined and dealing with the virus. These kinds of things are just strange, strange times that, that we are experiencing. So probably more than ever before, I feel like our world needs good news of great joy. 
probably more than any other time as the church family, even though it's, it's very awkward and, dis, and different and gathering together and spread out and wearing masks, I think it's important for us to be able to come together as the body of Christ and gather around the Word of God and, and receive good news of great joy because I need it and I know probably you do as well. But even with all of these challenges that COVID-19 presents us, many will still gather together in some form or fashion to celebrate with family this year at Christmas. And sadly, while billions and billions of people in our world go through the Christmas traditions and the Christmas festivities every single year, the reality is the vast majority of the people in our world who celebrate Christmas will still completely miss the most important reason of all to recognize this day. And that is the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is about. Untold millions upon millions of people this week will celebrate a holiday that they actually know very little about. And all of them will miss out on the most glorious truth of all truths, which the Apostle John told us, which is the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to be reading this morning from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. I want to read this uh, prologue to John's Gospel. While it's not one that's normally identified as a Christmas-type passage, it's actually the most comprehensive declaration of what happened on that day over 2,000 years ago that we still recognize today. So in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Incredible passage that John introduces us to the story of Jesus Christ. And this, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about 
what theologians call the incarnation. The almighty, sovereign, eternal God taking on the form of a human being, taking on the veil of humanity and choosing to enter into our world to become one of us, to experience the life that we experience and ultimately to redeem his people from their sins. Now, we've talked a lot over the last three weeks during this Christmas series about Christmas movies, and many of you probably make it a tradition every year to watch Frank Capra's classic Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, right? Almost everyone watches that, at least at some point in time. It's a classic Christmas movie for many people. I remember as a child and as a teenager, that my mom obsessively watched this movie every year. And this was way, way long time ago, before the age of DVR and, and on-demand television, you know, where you've got streaming services now that you can just pull it up and watch it at any time. I remember the big deal it was when my grandfather bought for our family a VCR for the first time, and my mother realized that she could record It's a Wonderful Life and watch it anytime she wanted to. It was a huge deal for her. And I remember her watching it like three or four times every year at Christmas. And I was, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, too cool for school and didn't have time for all these sappy movies. And I remember watching my mom watch this movie every year, crying at the end of the movie and making fun of her. And now I'm the sappy old adult who's like, hey guys, y'all want to get together and watch It's a Wonderful Life? It's a great movie. And if you haven't seen the movie, which I can't imagine, most of you are probably still familiar with the premise of the movie. It's the story of a man named George Bailey. George Bailey is an obscure man who lives in Bedford Falls, New York, who was once full of big dreams, but whose circumstances in life have never allowed him to leave the tiny, cozy confines of Bedford Falls. He inherited a small building and loan after the untimely death of his father. He then married the love of his life, a woman named Mary, and had four kids. George always had dreams of being an architect and making it rich one day. But he ended up pouring his life into others, helping them to reach their dreams. George Bailey was a kind and gentle man, always living his life looking out for the other guy. But one day when his problems mounted and his unmet dreams began to haunt him, George Bailey, in a classic pity party, decided that he was worth more dead than alive and decided that he would take his own life by jumping into the freezing river. At that time, God sent a bumbling guardian angel named Clarence, who decided to jump into the river ahead of him, and true to form, as a man who always lived his life helping others, George jumps into the river, not to kill himself, but to rescue a stranger. As they are talking about George's problems... George says that the world would probably have been better off if he had never been born in the first place. Clarence decides that this would be an opportune time to give George the chance to see what life would have been like without George Bailey. 
So he gives George his wish. And when they return to town, George notices that most of the shops in town are different. Most of the people that George had helped to get a home through his building and loan, they weren't around anymore. George's little brother, who had become a World War II hero who saved the lives of hundreds of men, George's brother was not alive because George had not been there as a little boy to rescue him from drowning. And his wife Mary, when he finds her, doesn't recognize him. And George realizes that his children don't even exist. And George comes to the realization that as many challenges as he had in life, his life actually did matter after all. His presence made a difference, and the lack of his presence made an even more significant difference. And so he cries out in grief to God to give him back his life. It's a wonderful Life is truly a great Christmas movie with a lot of great life lessons, the most important one being that every life matters to someone, right? That's what it's all about. But as great a movie as It's a Wonderful Life is, it misses out on the most important Christmas story of all. You see, instead of asking what life would have been like if we had never been born... Perhaps we need to ask the question, what would life be like if Jesus had never been born? Many live today as if there is nothing really significant about the birth of Jesus Christ outside of placing a nice plastic nativity set in your yard as a decoration. Some people like to say things like Jesus is the reason for the season, but most of the people in our world give little more than a passing thought to Jesus Christ at Christmas. Most people see it as the cute story of a poor baby lying in a manger surrounded by smelly animals and bewildered shepherds. But if Jesus Christ had never been born, the implications to that are staggering. If we were somehow able to go back in time and see a world in which Jesus Christ had never entered, it would be a scary, hopeless place. There would be no such thing in our world as true freedom and liberty in a world without Jesus Christ. There would be no real idea in our world of charity, or dignity, or love in a world without Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, much of the advances that we now enjoy in things such as science and education came from people whose lives were transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's quite likely that without Christ, we would still be in a dark age where many of those advances would not exist today. Without the incarnation of Jesus Christ... The world in which we live would be a place of constant spiritual chaos and a place of constant spiritual darkness with no hope for escape. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus had never risen from the grave that we as believers are of all men most to be pitied. 
We don't want to really imagine a world without Jesus Christ. You see, Christmas is not about the birth of a cute baby. It's about the most dramatic event that ever took place in human history, the incarnation of Christ. It's about God entering the world of humanity by taking on flesh and choosing to enter fully into the mess that we have made and lead us to redemption and salvation. John begins his prologue by simply stating, In the beginning... In the beginning, and there's an echo here of the creation account of Genesis chapter 1. It's like John is connecting us all the way back to Genesis when Moses starts the story of God and tells us in the beginning was God. And he says, in the beginning was also the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It speaks about the eternal existence of this Greek word logos, or the Word of God. This, this logos, we know from John's Gospel, is God Himself in the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. And this opening verse fires off a profound announcement that this logos, this, this God who becomes flesh and becomes one of us, this logos existed before anything else existed. This logos made everything that currently exists. And in the most amazing statement probably in all of the Bible, presenting all of this of, of this, this Logos, God the Son, who has made everything and for whom all things owe their existence and their allegiance, this Logos, this eternal divine Son, takes on human flesh. The immortal becomes Mortal. Jesus is born, and because of that, the world would never be the same. In the last few moments that I have, I want to share with you four implications from John's gospel, four things that are true because God took on flesh, four things that have changed in our world because of Jesus' decision to enter our world, and four things that we have to celebrate today. The first of those is that because God took on flesh, there is life in the midst of the brokenness. There is life in the midst of our brokenness. John says in John chapter 1 verse 4, In Him was life. Do you see that? In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And then in verses 10 through 13, He says He was in the world and the world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know him. He, he was in our world and this entire world was made by him and yet the world didn't recognize him. They didn't, they didn't see him for who he was. He came to his own, being the Jewish people, and his own people rejected him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To those who would receive him, he gave the right to be born again, to experience spiritual life. One of the first glorious truths that John states about Jesus is that life itself is in him. In him was life. Jesus Christ is the source of all physical life as well as 
all spiritual life. That's why Jesus says later on in John's gospel in John 10, 10, that the enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have what? Life. Real and abundant life. This life is a parallel to the Genesis creation account where God creates all life. Moses showed in Genesis how God created everything by speaking it into existence, right? And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be this, and there was this. And God said, let there be life, and there was life. God speaks all of these things into existence by the power of His Word. And that Word is Jesus Christ. He's the agent of creation that gave everything and every living creature its reason for existence. Paul, in Colossians, which we studied a few weeks ago, said, "...by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him." Paul told the Greek philosophers at the Areopagus that in Jesus all things live and move and have their being. The Greek word for life is the word zoe. And here in John's gospel, it's used to describe physical life as opposed, I mean spiritual life as opposed to physical life. There was a Greek word for just physical life that was called bios. That's where we get the word biology. And this is zoe. It's a, it's a different kind of life than just simply physically existing. And while Moses attributes all physical life on this earth to God, what John says here when he says, in him was zoe, is that apart from Jesus Christ, no spiritual life exists whatsoever. Before Christ, every person on this planet was dead spiritually and separated from eternal life with God. The bottom line that John says here is if you really want to live, if you really want to have life, you have to know God's Logos, Jesus Christ. Without Him, there is no life. You can be completely alive physically in this world. You can be living and breathing and going to the grocery store and buying presents and wrapping presents. You can do all of those things physically and yet have no spiritual life and no meaning at all if you don't know Christ. You can breathe and work and raise children and do many other daily activities and still be a spiritually dead man or woman. And the reason for this is because the world that we live in is under a curse. It's the curse of sin. Sin has entered God's perfect world and it has created a broken world. It's a place where things don't work the way that God originally designed them to work. It's a world of pain and suffering and death and intrusive viruses. And even in the midst of all of this brokenness, John tells us that God has invaded our world to bring real spiritual life. John says that this life is not of blood, meaning that it cannot be obtained. You can't get spiritual life from any earthly heritage. It's not of the will of the flesh, meaning that you can't get spiritual life from your own personal desire or effort. It's not of the will of man, meaning that no man-made system of religion can give you spiritual life. The life is in the Word, and the Word is life. 
It's the life that fills the emptiness of your soul that you feel at times. It's the life that you were really created to experience. And Christmas is important because Christmas is a yearly reminder that God and the real life in this world has invaded our world of sin and brokenness. God made a choice to invade our brokenness and bring spiritual life to those who were dead in sin. You see, you can experience a wonderful life not because you were born, but because Jesus was born, and because of Him, now you can be born again. Because of Jesus, there's life in the midst of the brokenness. And because of Jesus, there's also light in the midst of the darkness. There's light in the midst of the darkness. In verses 4 through 8, Jesus says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then He clarifies it. He says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He talks about this man sent from God whose name was John, who came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. John was not the light, but he came to give witness about the light. We see this word light several times in John's gospel because the word light is a recurring theme in the gospel of John referring to Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, Jesus will later say, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Very same phrase, in him was Life and the life was the light of men. In John chapter 8, him who walks, follows me, will have the light of life. Because Jesus has entered our world, there is light in the midst of our darkness. God's light is his truth and his holiness. When you see those, that word light, it's always referring to the fact that God is all truth and he is completely holy, and that is contrasted against the backdrop of sin and lies and deception that exist in our world. If you haven't noticed, we live in an extremely dark world. And because this world is spiritually broken, it is a world without spiritual light. Just like all of us are born in this world spiritually dead without spiritual life, we are also born into a world without any spiritual light whatsoever. It's the reason why we find ourselves periodically looking around and asking ourselves the question, what's wrong with people in this world? Have you ever looked at some of the stuff that's happening in our world and you just felt the darkness? The darkness of people oppressing their fellow human beings? A world of physical and emotional abuse? A world of hatred and animosity existing between image bearers of God. The reason for this is because spiritual darkness creates spiritual blindness. People who live in spiritual darkness are blind to the truth of God and as such they do not willingly submit themselves to the law of God and to God's best for their lives. But the glory of the gospel is that in the midst of darkness God's light shines and when God's light shines the darkness is dispelled. Jesus truly is the light of the world. He came into our world to dispel the darkness. Now John says here in his gospel 
that Jesus shone the light in the darkness but, and that the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus revealed spiritual illumination to us and no amount of darkness or sin or brokenness in our world can negate the glorious truth of Jesus Christ. The darkness in our world cannot overcome the good news of the gospel. The forces of darkness know Jesus all too well, but they are powerless against him. They tried to dispel the birth of Christ by destroying the nation of Israel, but they could not. They tried to overcome the birth of Christ through Herod's futile attempt to have the baby Jesus killed, but they could not. Satan tried to dispel Jesus from accomplishing God's plan by the temptations in the wilderness, but he could not. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Satan tried to get Jesus to turn away from the cross, but he could not. Christmas is a powerful reminder that God the Son enters into the world of darkness and into our lives and brings the light and hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need this reminder probably more than any other time because sometimes the days in which we live are dark days. And we, you and I need to be reminded that the true light that John says, the true light which enlightens everyone has come into the world. Because of Jesus, there's light in the midst of the darkness. Because of Jesus, number three, there is glory in the midst of the mundane. There's glory in the midst of the mundane. Verse 14 is one of my favorite verses. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What an incredible verse. This one verse is power-packed with theological meaning and power-packed with gospel hope. This verse is the central hub to John's prologue in his gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. In 29 words, John forms one of the most incredible theological statements of all time and tells us about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The eternally existing Son of God has taken on flesh and become one of us. The agent of creation has taken on the veil of humanity. This is what we celebrate on Christmas. Without these five words, the Word became flesh. Nothing else we do this Christmas will matter at all. Won't matter that we celebrate with family. Won't matter that we exchange presents. Won't matter that we sing songs. Won't matter that we have some wassail. I have no idea what that is. If you have that, that's great. None of that matters. None of that matters unless the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In one sweeping sentence, John breaks apart the desperateness and the hopelessness of this world to show us that hope has finally come and that because hope has come, now we who have rejected God, according to Romans chapter 1, we who have exchanged the glory of God for lesser glories, according to Paul, we can behold glory. That's what he says. We have seen His glory. As human beings, we are drawn 
to behold glory. We are drawn to see glorious, beautiful things. It's part of the image of God within us. But so few of us actually ever see real glory. Instead, we substitute God's glory for false and fleeting glories such as fame and money and relationship and power. And in the process, the world that we live in becomes a mundane, hopeless world that is void of transcendent glory. And in the midst of the mundane, our hearts long for something transcendent. Our hearts long to see something that is truly beyond this world. John says in Jesus, we have seen His glory. And it is full of grace and truth. Those of us who have fallen short of the glory of God can now see God's glory full of grace and truth through the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the reason why the song of the angels, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, what was the song they sang right after appearing to the shepherds? Do you remember? Glory to God in the highest. It's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians that because Jesus has come, we now with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's the glory of God in Jesus Christ that transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt. The word dwelt is, a, is an interesting word. The word dwelt means to live in a tent. It means to sojourn. It means that it reminds us that God himself took up residence in the middle of the mess of our world and personally came to dwell among us. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Since the children of God share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, partook of the same thing so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And Hebrews 2.17 says, He had to be made like his brothers, like us, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. One biblical scholar, Eugene Peterson, in his, in his paraphrase of the New Testament, the message, put it this way. He said, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The glorious sun has entered our world. And it's interesting when we use the word dwell because, as I said, it means to, to, to live in a tent, to, to have temporal occupation. In the Old Testament, there was a parallel to this word. When God would dwell among His people in a tent... And it was called the tabernacle. God would tabernacle among his people in a tent so that they could have access to him in a very real, visible, and tangible way. And now John borrows that imagery to tell us that Jesus comes not to live in, a, in an earthly, physical, cloth tent, but he has entered into our world, into our humanity, and he has tabernacled, he has dwelt with us in a very real, visible, and tangible way. Christmas is a reminder that the Lord Jesus Christ has broken into our mundane world to dwell with us, and because of that, we can now see glory in the midst of the mundane. But then fourth and finally, real quickly, 
Because the Word became flesh, there is grace in the midst of our ruin. I love verses 16 through 17. I think they're the fitting way to to end John's prologue because it says, Now that the Word became flesh and dwelt among Him, from His fullness, from the fullness of the Word, we have received what? Grace. But not just grace. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. No one. Not a single one of us have ever beheld God with our eyes. The only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. John declares that not only do we have life and light and glory, but now because the Word became flesh, we have access to the grace of God in the midst of the mess and the ruin that you and I have made of our lives. Because... All of us are sinners. All of us have rejected the authority of God over us. And in the process, we have made a ruin of the world that God has given us. And God gave us His law to tell us what we should be doing, but the law which reveals to us God's holy, righteous standards can never save us. And it can never give us life. We can never have eternal life through the law Because the law can only condemn us by pointing out how far we have fallen short of God's standards. The law is insufficient to fix the mess that we have made in the world. So God sends His Son, full of grace and truth. John says we've received abundant grace, grace upon grace. I love that word. It kind of of describes my attitude towards my mama's dressing at, at the holidays, right? I don't just want dressing, I want dressing upon dressing. I want abundant dressing. God's grace comes through Jesus in a never-ending supply. No matter how much of a mess you have made of your life, God's grace is bigger than your mistakes. No matter how much of a disaster you have caused on yourself or others, God's grace can cover those mistakes. John says, no one has ever seen God because our sinful eyes cannot behold an infinitely holy God. We cannot look upon God and live, and yet in His graciousness, God decides to show us what He is like by giving us a visible representation of Himself in His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus that helps us to see God the Father. The best news of Christmas is that there is a God who knows you better than anyone else knows you and still loves you more than anyone else ever will. He loves you enough that He would send His Son on a spiritual rescue mission of grace to provide for you the salvation that you do not deserve. You see, you cannot know God apart from Jesus Christ. But there in the midst of a smelly stable surrounded by bleeding sheep and befuddled shepherds sits the grace of Almighty God incarnate. And this baby that we will celebrate this Christmas will completely keep God's holy law that you could never keep and then die the death that you deserve so that a holy, righteous, and just God can now make you the object of His grace. Praise God that at Christmas we can celebrate and remember the baby who was the Word remain, who made flesh, right? And in Him, in Jesus, is the life 
that you and I were created for and the light that we need in a dark world. In him is the glory that our hearts craves and the grace that our souls need. You see, it only matters in this world what what this world would be like if Jesus never came. Because if Jesus was never born into this world, then it really doesn't matter whether you and I were ever born into it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment before we finish up this sermon service this morning and have a short time of business? I want to just give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and in the midst of this message, the Spirit of God has been speaking to you, revealing to you your heart, revealing to you that you've rejected His law, revealing to you your need for a Savior. Maybe today you, you need to just trust the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to give you an opportunity to do that. We would normally have you come down and have prayer with you, send you back with a counselor, but we're not doing that. We would want to offer you an opportunity to speak to me or one of our staff members today before you leave. Maybe you're here and you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but you've allowed a whole lot of lesser glories to eclipse the glory of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and Maybe today as a follower of Jesus, you can just make a determination to say, you know what, I'm not going to let anything get in the way in the next five to six days of my worship and my wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe today you can just say a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord and say, thank you, Jesus, for becoming the Word made flesh. Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending your Son to be our Savior. Thank you for sending your Son to enter into our broken world and bring us life, to enter into our dark world and bring us light and spiritual illumination, to enter into our mundane world and bring us glory, to enter into our ruinous world and bring us grace. Thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.